0: We are back in Plenary Session Virtual Edition. I'm joined by David Russler Germain. David is, of course, a lymphoma expert already. He's a hematology oncology fellow at WashU St. Louis. He's a fast track MD, PhD, too many doctorates, and too much expertise in lymphoma. David, it's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. It's I also have. It's good to see you. I also have Aaron Goodman, Papa Heme. He's Papa Heme. He's He's loved by almost 99% of the hematology oncology community. Aaron, it's great to see you. And don't think about that 1%. Think about the 99%. Yeah, I
1: can think of one or two people. But Thank you. I'm, I'm not a, as much of a lymphoma expert, but I'm very eager to talk about this subject.
0: Oh, I'm super eager. And I'll, I'll take your 99 any day of the week. I must be at, I, I think I'm at 72 and dropping oh, rapidly. You're being, you're
1: being
0: generous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being generous. I'm being generous at 72. All right. So we've got three big papers to talk about. We have polituzumab vidotin, uh, which is substituting for vinca in our chop. We have tisagenlecleucel, and we have axicel. Let's start with pola. Um, this is a really good study, uh, or is it? Or is it? Is it practice-changing? That's the question. Um, and then we'll work our way to second line. Let's start in the front line. So um, this is a randomized controlled trial. Uh, we are dropping Oncovin from our chop. Of course, we're washing down our R-CHOP, six cycles of R-CHOP, with two more cycles of rituximab, obviously, like we never do, but we're doing that here. Um, and in the control arm, instead of oncovin, you get polituzumab vedotin. Uh, David, what is, what is this antibody drug conjugate? W- what the hell does it target, and why, why, am I, why should I care about this?
2: Yeah, so Pola is an uh, anti-CD79 antibody drug conjugate with the MMAE payload. Mm. Um, It's a microtubulin targeting agent, um, and essentially all of the mature B-cell lymphomas will express CD79 pretty much ubiquitously to the point that um, both in the relapse refractory setting and presumably in the frontline setting, um, it's not even going to be tested for by IHC most likely before you use the drug.
0: You're confident it has a target, and so the idea is this antibody-drug conjugate, just like Brentu- just like Brentuximab Vedotin, same payload, um, and it's going to bind to the cell, deliver the MMAE toxin, and voila. Voila, you get precision. It's this precision oncology. Um, so, of course, they run this randomized control trial. They take people with Ann Arbor stage one, two, three, and 4, and they randomize them to six cycles of RCHOP followed by two of rituximab or six cycles of RCHP-POLA followed by two cycles of rituximab. Um, I guess, I don't know, where do we even dive in on this? And, and they have a, they have a PFS benefit. PFS is defined as investigator. The investigator thinks you progressed or you died. Um, They have some other endpoints we can look at, like disease-free survival, which is uh, progression or relapse among those who achieve a CR and death, the composite endpoint, um, and uh, we also have overall survival. Now, I'm an old-fashioned oncologist, and the first thing I did was look at the overall survival curves, and, you know, there's that old saying in oncology, if you can fit the laser pointer between the curves, you can give the plenary at the national meeting. I couldn't fit a laser pointer, David. It was a stone-cold negative OS, stone-cold negative. What do you think? Where do we dive in on this? PFS benefit, There's that, that exists. Let's talk about it.
2: Yeah, so I think the the first thing I'd say is that you know in in advance in, in any advanced cancer setting, um, one question is is the is are you taking a curative at, shot at this or not? And so I think as far as um, different malignancies go, you know let's just think advanced stage DLBCL for starters, um, you might weigh PFS a little more than you would in a metastatic solid tumor sense where you're talking about long-term disease control, continual therapy without much treatment break most likely except for toxicity. Whereas in the DLBCL setting, uh, the goal is, especially just thinking uh, American practice, six cycles of RCHOP is your standard of care, patients in a CR stop therapy at the end of treatment. And um, the optimistic provider would say two thirds of those patients might be cured. And so a PFS benefit would hopefully reflect more of those patients being cured. But the question is, can you cure them on the back end? And the OS is identical with just subjecting a few additional patients to second and third line therapies to get there.
0: But let me Um, make one point there, though. I mean, I'm with you on part of it, which is that PFS benefit in a curative setting, it means something different. But the question mark I have is what you really want to look at is not the hazard ratio PFS, which really is, you know, both it's the time until progression you want to see that that tail is plateauing at a higher cure rate fair to say
2: fair to say exactly i think this is uh this is exactly where we would go back to the ratify mitostorin study where Mm. those two curves just it's like, just hug the median line, but there is that parallel difference, that y-axis delta um, suggesting perhaps a small percentage higher curve. And that's, that's a, a great question.
0: example because, uh, you know, we just published a paper on like the overall survival benefit of genome drugs, and that was the highest with like a 79-month median OS benefit. But it's because one is like right above the median, one is right below the median. So it's kind of artificial. Um, but okay, that's a good example. There is a true increase in cure rate from uh, FLIP 3 inhibition in FLIP 3 ITD. Um, uh, AML. Um, okay. Uh, b- uh, before I go to Aaron, I just got to ask you, David. What do you think about the fact that they're including all stages? What's going on here? Why is Ann Arbor one in here? Is Why is Ann Arbor very, two?
2: A very strange thing. So I'll admit it's only about ten or twelve percent of the patients were stage one or two. They don't Correct. break down one or two. But I think even when this study started enrolling um, several years now back, what was it, 2017, I believe. Um, I-, I doubt the majority of both no countries, providers, this. and patients would have received six cycles of even RCHOP, let alone be asked to take a potentially more toxic regimen, debatably, depending on how you look at the AEs, it's, if it's going to be more potent against the disease, it may come with more toxicity. That's sort of a the null hypothesis one would take. So I am i don't know why they needed to do that, both from an accrual standpoint as well as an eventual approval regulatory standpoint. Um, I. I I hope if this polar RCHIP becomes standard of care for advanced stage, I hope that we do not insist that patients stop getting three cycles of RCHOP in ISRT versus four cycles of RCHOP, um, considering that most of the American providers I'm aware of don't even give the additional two cycles of rituximab per the flyer study.
0: Yeah, so this rituximab. So tell me about this. Where does this rituximab come from? Why? Who is giving this? these two, two rituxins to wash it all down?
2: Yeah, my understanding is that is a European standard of care practice that's sort of based on how their different, their trials have migrated from eight cycles of RCHOP to less intense or shorter duration Mm -hmm. of therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure there's any evidence to say that six cycles of RCHOP and stopping is any worse or better admittedly than giving two additional doses of rituximab, comes at cost, comes at longer B-cell depletion. So uh, we don't do it.
0: Well, I like my dinner at 6.30 p.m., not 10.30 p.m., so I'm going to stick to the American standard here, only six cycles. Aaron, let me ask you this. You've got a patient. They have lymph nodes in the neck. It's DLBCL. You biopsy one. It's DLBCL, uh, NOS. You know, there's no mic rearrangement. Uh, Are you going to give a person like that, uh, arguably an Ann Arbor stage one or maybe a stage two patient, you're going to give them six cycles of RCHOP?
1: no those those patients will not get six cycles this is exactly as david said they, they'll either get you know three cycles some radiation and that's you know if it's an easy place to radiate not, not, uh, then i would potentially favor that or four cycles if their pet's negative and stop there uh, i think that's how most uh physicians are practicing now yeah, they're not so getting right. polituzumab yeah
0: they're not getting Pola. And I guess I'm really surprised that they were included because I think it makes it muddy in a couple ways. And I'll tell you what my ways are in a second. Um, but before we dive in, I guess we're going to get into deep soon. Aaron, any broad thoughts on this? What did you think when yeah. you saw this? Yeah.
1: I have a few. You know, I will say that, um, you know, I went into it skeptical because it's a fancy new ex- expensive drug. It was a fairly well done study. And it was unlike a, a, our myeloma trials where they didn't add a drug. Uh, 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 that was active to existing drugs. They, they swapped out a drug, uh, so it's a fair balance with overlapping toxicity, uh, so they swiped out the vincristine for the Um, You know, I also go in, you know, we don't see that survival advantage yet, and we, I'd like to see those PFS curves hold out with longer follow-up. That's going to be key, that they stay, uh, um, you know, relapse in DLBCLs now, you know, in auto, or as we'll get to, potentially even CAR T-cell, uh, which are not benign things. So even if you could, keep survival the same by treating them at relapse those are big deal therapies that they need to get Uh, and then as we'll talk about you know truly if we're going to accept such a small increase in progression-free survival uh, I think we were all hoping for more, um, but, you know, it's it's small, you know, toxicity and uh, expenses need to go into these decision making.
0: That's right. I think maybe and, and maybe hopefully David will be able to tell me about the dollars to avert one event. So I hope you uh, I see I see you. you may have thought about that. OK, here's my first thing I have to say before we get into it. Uh, the first thing I have to say is the introduction. They say, as you all know, Pola BR has an OS benefit over BR, as you all know. And I got to say uh, that. That is an underpowered phase two study, and that was not your primary endpoint, and that is very likely a spurious finding. So, repeat that study and take that out of your abstract, Th- medical writer. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm well, not a f- Well, Well, not- they yes. should not
2: repeat that study because. Okay, fine. You're right. We should be giving anybody. BR. Yeah, okay, fine.
0: Okay, fine. I mean, I. I can't. I can. I can think very clearly of like the one or two times I've been forced to give it. Um, you know, in the salvage setting, uh, purely sort of a palliative option, and it's in somebody who's really quite frail and quite, couldn't really take more. Okay, David, let's come okay, back. At to least that. they had a yes. control,
1: unlike saddle. You know, at least they they gave a control arm. You gotta give them some credit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's
0: true. Oh, oh you're thinking about selling Xer, My favorite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite. First. Oh God. Don't. That's a – you trigger me when you say Selinexor. I even feel I feel apathy and anhedonia just from hearing the drug, let alone taking it. Okay, uh, let's let's go to you, David. Okay, so um, where do you want to dive in on this? I have a few things that I saw. Okay, so what you, okay, I'll say yeah. is
2: I'm going to put all of this under the umbrella. I mean, you've said in multiple podcasts, PFS, 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 and this trial is NNT, NNT, NNT. Number to treat, number needed yeah. to treat. Yeah. And I think that what I'll say to people is, you know. When you're doing something on a per patient basis, and and we could say maybe giving CNS prophylaxis is a good example of that, you're actually hoping that that particular person in the office in front of you is the one that gets the added benefit in exchange for the toxicity of the added intervention you're giving. It could be something as simple as, you know, we're going to give this 51-year-old prophylactic GCSF with four cycles of RCHOP because they had multiple pneumonias over the last few years. Right, right. That one patient should be getting the benefit from the intervention. But when you change your default standard of care regimen, somebody walks in the door and just by chart review alone, you already have an idea in your head what you're going to recommend. When you change that recommendation, it's all about number needed to treat because it's not a one-to-one relationship of every patient that gets the new regimen is going to get the benefit that... That regimen demonstrated from the trial. Okay. And so, just breaking that down, I mean, the primary endpoint was met that a two year PFS benefit is rounding up to whole numbers here 77% in the polar RCHIP arm versus 70% in the ARCHOP arm. And so, that's mm. a 7% absolute difference, which equates to a number needed to treat of 17. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk money here? Do you want not want to talk money here? I,
0: I'm. Uh, we'll save that for the end because that's going to okay. really make me. But I want to point out one thing. If you zoom in really close on that PFS curve at 24 months, I I am willing to argue that the 24 month is one of the more favorable months. Go look at look at 28 months. Look at 28 months, David. And suddenly, it's not 17 anymore. It's going to be a higher number because those curves kind of get closer together.
2: Well, huh? well, I mean, there's a reason for that, and that that, that speaks to are we doing are we taking are we performing standard of care surveillance in clinical trials somebody i know you just published on Uh, this maybe you saw my thread Uh, yeah maybe maybe. Um, (laughs) okay but this caught my eye too that after treatment patients get pets every six months for four pets and then every year for three more pet scans
0: what the f is that what is that that? alone that's not right
2: same cost it's radiation exposure that's never going to get approved by insurance i mean that speaks to why there are the steps in the PFS curves. And that speaks to why at, you know, six months times four, that's your 24 month bullet point right there. But then you don't get another one until you're at 36. So the, so the curves are going to, um, yeah, have and a step pattern, yeah. symptomatic and exam progression rather than imaging based progression. But let's
0: just talk about that as a standard of care practice. I mean, that doesn't make, like, if you have a patient Aaron, you have a patient. You have DLBCL NOS. You treated six cycles, RCHOP. They achieve PET negativity, CR by PET at end of treatment. How many times are you scanning that person if they're asymptomatic and coming in your office?
1: It's a big zero. Um, That's all right, zero. In, in the yeah. NCCN, though, they say you can do it. So, you know, yeah, I, I... They say
0: I, I, you <laughs> can do it. The NCCN, the the, uh, the the group that exists just to twist the arms of insurers to pay up. Uh, oh, no, sorry, I didn't say it. Okay, what do you think, David? It's it's more so, frequent than so anyone our does. our
2: institutional practice is pretty much at most two body CTs over the next two to three years total. Okay. Agreed. Um, we've pretty, we've had a concerted effort to try to drop neck imaging cause it's going to be palpable and you don't need radiation to the neck. Why bother? Um, but even though in those cases, oftentimes it's just one and then, um, let us know how you feel, exam, et cetera. Um. No surveillance. And, Pets, and, that's for sure.
0: And let me give two references, if I'm correct. It's been a long time since the police paper. There's two JCO papers. One was a comparison of Denmark and Sweden. And in one country, they were doing routine imaging and follow up for CR, DLBCL. In the other country, they didn't. They just had a lot more imaging and they didn't find a lot more disease. And they had the same overall survival. And then the other study I'm aware of was a study that looked at how often do people relapse between imaging and on imaging. And like the majority of relapses are symptomatic relapse. Is that accurate? Aaron, you know that yeah. literature?
1: I've I don't know the specific papers, but I could, I've looked at most of them, and in just about any lymphoma uh, that's been studied with surveillance imaging, it's never been shown to benefit. And, and just in practice, it's very annoying getting surveillance imaging uh, for the patients. I think as far as anxiety and finding all the things you don't want to find and then have to deal with.
0: That's right. And we always find that worthing tumor in the parotid, and then you find an <laughs> adrenal nodule and you're chasing some con syndrome. Okay. Uh, David, can here's I, my question. Yeah, go ahead. Can yeah. I make a very cynical Please. devil's
2: advocate remark here? Okay. That if if second line therapy after polar chip is going to be CAR T cell for the early refractory people, and you have yeah. a 12-month cutoff, and people insurers are, are going to abide by that potentially, plus or minus a little bit, I okay. think there's... Probably going to be a little bit of a pendulum swing in the field. People with more surveillance imaging at t- so before that you 12 months. And give CAR T cells to yeah, people yeah, you're in a right. relapse re- refractory setting, and so that you have the lead time before they're symptomatic and need intensive bridging.
0: Oh, you clever, you clever man. But Think that's so it. that's so messed up though because that's not the inclusion of the study. All right, we're going to come to that. That's Yeah, I see what you're saying because if that's the included It's a question, perverse incentive. Yeah, it's a the, perverse this, incentive. The, the scan. So I'm going to do a pet at month 11. Of course I'm going to do it because that's the only way I can guarantee I get my car T if I want to give my car T. All right, that's, you're diabolical. Look at you, you're thinking five steps ahead. Let me just go ahead and write the NCCN. You may consider a pet CT at month 11. I just go ahead and write it for you. Okay, but here's my question for you, David. In this trial, Polarix, uh, it said to me that if you wanted to give radiotherapy that was fine you had that option at end of treatment but you had to have specified it before and it occurred in something like 15 to 20% of people in both arms but there was an imbalance there was more radiotherapy delivered in our chop arm than in the uh, archipola arm and i guess the two questions i had was are i hope i hope that radiotherapy at the end of treatment that was pre-specified at the beginning was that considered an event i hope no, i think not no okay that's, it wasn't that was that's that clear was that's okay fine. but then the second thought was um was if you include people with early like are some of the people getting that radiotherapy the people with stage one two disease or is it all the b- bulky stuff who's the one it doesn't they don't tell specify us. they no, don't specify okay, fine so that's a problem i mean this one two threw threw me for a loop because i don't know what the one it's it's not nothing it's 10 percent of the patients you know um yeah Okay, so that was my first thought. My second thought was investigator-assessed progression. Why is there no central assessment here? Why don't we need to see tissue? Why don't we need to prove its progression? As you know, um, you know, you look at a PET scan and you squint, and you, know, you can call it any way you want to call it when you get a little bit of residual uptake on PET, especially with bulky disease. I've looked at so many PETs, and depending on how I feel, I keep petting them until it cools off or I proceed to the next step. Don't you feel the same, Aaron? Like, for instance, a PMBL patient comes in your clinic and then post, you know, eight weeks post EPOC, let's say, let's say you're following that Dunleavy protocol, you get a pet and the pet's positive in the mediastinum, don't you just like keep petting them until it cools off?
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, the may be the only circumstance where I still use EPOC, uh, primary mediastinal, um, but yes, uh, mm-hmm. in any lymphoma, I feel like I'm dealing with that all the time in my clinic right now, well, as long as those pets are better and if they're a little hot, uh, the decision which I have with patients is: Do we just follow this two months later with another yeah. PET uh, or, or biopsy? And Those are sometimes tough clinical decisions. But I'm never making a treatment decision at first relapse for a lymphoma uh, without a biopsy. I mean, that would be a very unusual circumstance. But or you or-
0: remember in Echelon One, some people at end of treatment they had PET positivity and they blasted them with RT and they scored it as an event on the modified PFS. Right, David.
1: That's, that's the the big problem with that study. That uh, this study we don't think has, but uh,
0: but, but uh, in my, I guess the question is, do I know yeah. it doesn't have it? That's my question. Does it have you it? Don't.
1: I, I didn't yeah. read the supplement in detail, but I, they did not mandate. I think it relapsed. Right, five it was just a, what the investigator thought based off the PET scan. Yeah,
2: they do have. They did have central or blinded central review, but that was it. Didn't it? Didn't trump the investigator assessed. I see. Right. So that's that's an unusual. I don't know.
0: I guess I found it a little question mark. Okay, And then what about the DFS? Can you put this in perspective for me? The DFS is only it's it's not intention to treat as they make clear because it's only among people who achieve CR. Um, investigator says DFS. So what's going on here? Um,
2: why? yeah, is it, so to your yeah. point, I mean we we kind of touched on this that the goal of this new regimen is to cure more people in the frontline setting without excess toxicity and hopefully not excess financial implications. <clears throat> Um, and so the, what, what you hope to see, and this is kind of what we're all used to seeing from all of the recent CAR studies, the phase two CAR studies where, you know, of the people that had a CR, how did they fare? Of the people that had a PR to CAR T, how did they fare? And in this setting might mean my brain went that direction. And then I'm looking at this DFS curve. And what surprised me is that in the Polar chip arm, 343 patients had their dis- response status at treatment completion, 343 out of 376, 78, that 78% were in CR. But when you look at the disease-free survival number num- numbers, number of patients who could be evaluated was 381. So how did you go from 343 to 381? Now one possibility, and it doesn't make it clear in the protocol or the supplement is that these are patients that had interim CRs and either had other events, like they either they had a, I guess they must've had a progression like at their end of treatment scan. But I think mm. that's pretty unlikely in yeah. this cohort. And what I think it, this number actually reflects is that there are patients who had, a, had either stable disease, data missing, or PR at the end of their treatment, had a CR to subsequent therapy, and they're actually reporting to us, how did those patients in their CR from salvage do? It's very unclear, and it just makes it very hard to interpret what this number is, because I think a lot of the ash and social media chatter was that perhaps this more potent regimen makes us, your CR is a deeper CR. We don't have DLBCL MRD, but perhaps these CRs are deeper, and that's why they're lasting longer. But they don't actually right. definitively show us that. They don't actually show us that the people in CR truly at the end at treatment completion, which is what I wanted. Those three hundred forty-three patients. How did they fare compared to the three hundred twenty-five? Not the three thirty-six. The three hundred twenty-five in the standard RCHOP arm.
0: You know, I'm just doing the math now. You're right. Four hundred forty people are randomized to POLA R chip. Seventy-eight percent CR rate. So that comes out to be. That 343 343 and yet the kaplan meyer plot of idfs which should be restricted to the subgroup is 381 what is going on where are those yeah, 40 they don't people really coming explain from it,
2: and i mean i want to either way it's not mm-hmm. ideal um and maybe at this point can we add a disclaimer that mm-hmm. a lot of this is intellectual we're not explicitly criticizing the authors for doing certain things you have to say ways. that these days everyone's so we sensitive. Do, we do have to say it because I you, think you have to say that but you know Aaron has to say I, that but I, I don't have, I don't say have that, to say that but it. okay I don't have no yeah. okay yeah. but you have um, to say
0: it. but yes I, everyone takes it personally you know I drive you know I drive a Honda you say something bad about a Honda it's like you're talking about me you know
2: yeah. so yeah so DFS okay, but you're right a but you're right you, it, but no.
0: but you can say you commend the authors they're good people and this is a good paper yeah. okay no, but
2: no I think running this study had to be done they did the right phase two before it. uh, And that was published in one of the Lancet journals a few years ago, they had to run this study. um, And I think it was a good study. There are quirks that we're talking about. um, And we'll see if it's practice changing. That's the key question Um, for me.
0: And, um, but this is interesting to me, this 40 patients, where do they come from? And you think that what happened was they had PR, they're getting ice, they get CR on ice. And now they're included in the group of people who achieve CR while on study, but they're off study
2: when they got the CR. And or then are there are other people who had disease uh, end of treatment not evaluated or data missing, which was 34 of the 440 patients but that's high for why... what... but but a registrational
1: trial at interim pet and then lost it but right?
0: that problem the problem with that is is two, re- two problems one, if you have CR at interim pet. Have you ever seen anyone lose it. That's one and two. I guess do you even do interim pets that often? My practice was always do interim C T. Still is, do interim C T, and as long as it's not florid progression, I plow on. Um, so I wonder how many people are even getting pets in interim. And then I guess I would find it hard to believe that you could be pet negative C R and like two or three or four and then lose it by the end.
2: Yeah, especially yeah, that. That to me people. is unlikely because I don't know why the hazard ratio would be better for DFS than PFS. Like if it was mm. if we were including patients that had early progression uh, correct yeah right then right. The, the hazard ratio should be worse right. than true pfs right. because they had to be progression events for either way so i think it's quirky um it doesn't make or break anything but i think it undermines a bit of the argument that i saw on social media that these crs are deeper you didn't really prove it
0: i guess to me i find obviously anytime you stratify outcomes by an by by a category that does not exist at time zero but only exists somewhere along the study, uh, I think you have a problematic endpoint to some degree. And it's hard to make direct comparisons. And now, with these number imbalance, these 40 mis- these forty people, I have a hard time making sense of it. But, you know, it's not their primary endpoint. It's a secondary endpoint. It's just curious. You remember yeah. the Rick Fisher 1993 paper, the fa- my favorite bomb yeah. CHOP paper, um, you know, I didn't see them with the with the PFS and the investigator DFS. they They were simple back then. It was time to treatment failure in OS. It's the good old mm-hmm. days of oncology. Just yeah. the good old days, the good old days. Okay, David, tell me, drop the boom. How much is it so, to avert one event?
2: Over a million dollars. One point six million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just ran the math for both this and another purpose uh, in America for because we have international listeners and viewers probably. One cycle of standard of care RCHOP for the average weight BSA individual, it, the drugs themselves cost seven k, um, just round using round numbers seven thousand um, dollars. One average cycle of pola sixteen thousand dollars. Wow. And this study we didn't mention yet mandated GCSF for all comers on oh, either God. arm, so that's a cost. And then you can debate whether patients will have additional costs based on the spectrum of toxicities but um if we can talk toxicity for like a quick second yeah, let's do it before we get the cost i agree with the authors entirely that the <laughs> spectrum of toxicities were highly similar in part because the vast majority of the agents were very similar and the adc with a microtubulin agent targeted agent is again very similar going to predominantly have peripheral neuropathy But we know from other studies that polituzumab does come with more neutropenia, more cytopenias in general than than Christine would as a monotherapy, just like A prime to A. Um, But I think in a few places in the discussion of uh, toxicity, they say that things are similar when in fact there's a few absolute percentage points different, more than two or three percentage points. Mm -hmm. Febrile neutropenia. Exactly. But in other cases where it's unfavorable for Pola, they kind of say it's similar despite uh, um, a, a few percentage point different in that direction. So I think the, the, the thing from the toxicity standpoint I would take, take away from this is that 13.8% of people had febrile neutropenia in the Pola R-chip arm versus 8% in the r arm. An average admission for a neutropenic fever is $25,000 in America. So if you have an absolute difference of Five, to five percentage points. Six percentage is, points. That is, you know, from a number needed to treat, cost needed to avert standpoint. That plus the GCSF, or despite the, the GCSF, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dis- talk, right, 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 is again non-trivial. Um, and we'll come back to this. At David, the, end the, 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 the company would argue,
1: you know, if it saves one person from getting a car T, you know, uh, it, when they write their cost analysis benefits, uh, that will be published, written by them. Do we want to talk Ryan. number
2: needed to treat to avert one auto and number needed to treat to
0: Okay. This time I'm not. Okay. 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 So yeah. How much? All right. So you, so you just made a great point, which is that you first, you threw out a number $1.6 million to avert an event. Um, did that include the G what's that?
2: A PFS event. Correct. A PFS. Survival event.
0: Well, of course they, they, they have to improve survival to avert an event. Okay. PFS event. But that, did that include the GCSF? Okay, so the GCS on top of that. And then the next thing is, and did that include the excess cost of febrile neutropenia? That 6% increase. In, okay, so those two extra costs. And now you're going to give me the number to avert uh, or the number to uh, needed to treat to avoid a CAR T, etc. Yeah.
2: So in this population, uh, yeah. number okay. to needed to treat to avert one auto was 32 patients. Hmm. And number needed to treat to avoid one CAR T was 63 patients.
0: And, and you're assuming that the probability that the person who has the event would fit axicell versus auto. No,
2: this, so they report in the supplement, Uh-oh, how many people in each arm went to Got get the, those okay, things. Okay. So I took the true absolute uh, risk reduction of those two um, subsequent lines of therapy. Now is all, all of those numbers will be moot if, and when based on Zuma seven axicell becomes second line for some of these patients. Um, but I suspect that that study, those that study results will not be that applicable for most of the people technically I, I included. I bet in Zuma effect. Seven,
0: like the people who are putting their patients on this trial, are already kind of doing a Zuma Seven in their practice. Like, weren't many of you weren't like in real life? A lot of people were taking chemo refractory people straight to 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 T. Okay, we'll come back to that. So, I mean, the cost is horrendous. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of money to avert an event, um, and an event is not a cure. That's to be clear. Like, we haven't proven that to be the case yet. Um, that's a lot of money, 1.6 mil to avert event. We have, have a paper that we're about to publish about dollars to avert events. And I will tell you, it would be on the high end of this paper. I can't tell you anymore. Yeah,
2: no, I think, you know, um, Aaron and I have talked about this separately and you, as of you and Ivan I, that there is a, there's a big difference. And I hope listeners have always, and continue to appreciate this, that there's a big difference between the sort of academic regulatory, discussions that we're having here, which do bleed into the everyday decision making. And I hope what we discussed previously and continue to discuss inform people's day-to-day decision making. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you don't make a decision, am I going to treat my next 100 DLBCL patients with this regimen or not? You make the decision one patient at a time when they're in the office in front of you. Um, I think, you know, we can all... Answer in the next few minutes whether we will start offering this to our patients. I'll go first, potentially, and say I think within the next few months, assuming my patients aren't going to get $94,000 bills every treatment course, that yes, there are going to be many patients who get offered this. Um, the dilemma is you know, when they come and tell me, well, here's my copay, why didn't I do our chop? You know, or vice versa, somebody gets that recommendation outside and they have a high copay and then they come to my office and say, do you, should I just take our chop instead? I'll save myself 10,000 bucks out of pocket. It'll be, these are going to be long consult visits. just talking about the financial implications of this regimen.
0: You're not going to wash your hands of it like so many. Okay. But here, let me ask you follow-up questions. Uh, If their IPI is one, are you going to do it?
2: I think people probably will. I think that's- What the
0: hell? They're excluded from the study.
2: I know I, it's hard to. I mean, some why it, this we can talk. Uh, I know, yeah. Dichotomizing a uh, continuous, continuous variable is all we want. Yeah. But if it's LDH or age, and they're plus or minus the year, if they're plus or minus a few LDL, LDH points, I mean, it's it's hard to convince me that based on somebody's LDH is being 245 with the upper limit of normal 250, that that makes or breaks it. You know, like that's not.
0: Are you going to st- offer it to your early stage patients? Definitely not. Okay, so early stage is off for you. Well, early stage is out but but you use you view ipi as squishy okay i'm curious about you aaron Are you can offer it
1: this is tough i spoke about it with david over the phone you know i'm just imagining myself in the clinic patient who's educated and has looked at this and and i say our chop you know uh, uh you know and they're gonna show this wonderful randomized study in the newland journal of medicine with a six percent don't you care about that it's gonna be tough to not offer it to some patients now if we knew you know what the copay is going to that discussion i think like if a patient if you went through this data mm-hmm. in depth like we just did as best as you could to a patient and explained it that we don't know if <laughs> it increases overall survival it's a marginal benefit at best uh, um and they're gonna also have to pay 10 grand out of pocket i actually think a lot would not do it uh, but you don't know that usually at that first consult visit so yes i think i will probably give this to, to some patients uh definitely not you know uh, early stage that's easy for me hell no they're not going to even it's not even gonna get really discussed but for advanced stage patients, uh, uh it will get discussed. Now I probably will write for it. Are you mm. gonna give it, Dr. Prasad?
0: <laughs> I guess I'm going to say uh I'm probably gonna be among the three of us the least likely to give it. Now although I talk a tough talk when push comes to shove and you actually go through my charts, you'll see I've done some things (laughs) based on what people want after I make the best case and I go through education like nobody's business. Um, But uh, I also practice at the General, San Francisco General Hospital, and our drugs are covered by Department of Public Health, and they have a more stringent process of what they're going to put on the formulary or not. And so that will be a barrier to me giving it in the sense that I suspect that a lot of people who look at this will not view it uh, so favorably. And I guess there's a point there i think a broader point which is that you know this is this is an age-old question which is who does rationing in a system um let's assume for the sake of argument that this is a pristine study that in fact shows this is a superior drug product i think the question is who should and it's also very very costly for whatever benefit i guess part of me wants to say i'm not yet sold it's actually better and i'll keep pushing on it a little bit harder in the next few minutes but if I were sold, it's better. It's only better at a tremendous price. And in most systems in this world, there's going to be somebody else. It'll be There'll be a regulator saying, okay, it can be an option. And then there's going to be a payer who says maybe not. And so in the United Kingdom, it would be nice. I think I suspect it would fail most nice analyses unless the company gives it at a very significant discount, like 80% discount or something. Um, in, in Germany, they have a system. They're not going to pay for it. Maybe Switzerland, they have a little bit more cash. Uh, and they might pay for it, but the Netherlands, I don't think, would. Uh, Kaiser Permanente, I think, would probably try to find a way to deprioritize this on the formulary. Um, I also think the Veterans Hospital will find a way to deprioritize this, so places with fixed budget might have other sort of cues. Canada probably won't pay it in many provinces, um, but we in the United States have a different system, and so you're at Seitman, you're at UCSD, I'm here at the General in San Francisco, and I think there are different kind of strategies. But coming back to the efficacy, just for a second, I mean, I don't know, it is still in the realm of possibility that, um, that uh, it's not superior for clinical outcomes in the sense that, I guess one point I want to make, even though this is a, quote, targeted drug, the fact that the, the, that the toxicity is a wash tells me that you know it's got a sexy mechanism of action, but it's not less toxic than oncovin dirty old, dirty old oncovin, filthy oncovin that we all think is so terrible. And now you go in the lab and you spend half a decade, make your new fancy drug. And it's just as talk. It's just as oncovin. And people are glad that you only have an increase in febrile neutropenia. You're lucky you don't have more n- neuropathy too, like Brentuximab, Vedotin feels like. Um, okay. So one thing is it's like not- quality of life is not better. The second thing is will the pfs benefit be real in a practice that follows our sort of imaging practices i'm not sure um that's one thought and then the third thought is is salvage as horrible and a fate to be avoided as people think and i don't think salvage is as terrible as people think because how many times have you given our gdp let's talk about our gdp do you like our gdp you like our ice you like our DHAP? what's your salvage of choice aaron goodman
1: well, more kind of just how our institutions done it is is rise, but I will say in my practice okay. I have been shifting more towards RGDp as of
0: life. yeah outpatient, you know, yeah. and then auto. um, Thoughts, David?
2: I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think this is um, it's tough to ask a physician in the room with the patient to be the rationer. It's yeah. not yeah. their job. Yeah. Um, and also we don't often know what the cost to the patient will be before we proceed with a plan. I mean, we're pushing up in age. How we can, when what we who we offer autos to, who we offer car tees to, up eighty higher even. I could see that a patient getting up in age, but very fit otherwise, wants to just be done with their disease. This may this regimen may give them a very modest increased likelihood of just being done after this intervention. Hmm, okay. I mean, to speak the number needed to treat. Probably not, but they may get a small benefit now. A younger patient Mm -hmm. who, um, wants to, you know, take COVID aside, be less likely to be admitted with a toxicity during between cycles needs to keep working or taking care of kids. And thus the risk for infection is non-trivial, um, and, or has higher out of pocket expenses or, you know, hasn't met a deductible yet. I think it's very reasonable to give that patient, um, our job. And one thing that I what I think is funny, um, you know, you, you mentioned formularies a few minutes, a few seconds ago, but, you know, every hospital has a different way of offering or restricting chemotherapy agents at large for inpatient use, of course, um, that's because this is they not have a single be available de- inpatient. Correct. Um, of course not anywhere. Um, for several, like at least a year the or hospital two. Will um, lose I know a few institutions have started giving checkpoint inhibitors inpatient. Um, Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, given the like time to needed to response for different indications. But, you know, at our institution, we can't give checkpoint inhibitors in the hospital, I I highly doubt we're ever going to give pola in the hospital. So it doesn't make a ton of sense to me to say like a patient who's sicker from their lymphoma and thus might benefit from the deeper CR we're going to give our chop to because of cost purposes due to like admission expense concerns. But then when they come out to the clinic. We'll give them the more costly and more toxic thing interesting that's, oh that's, that's a, a nice paradox open. they're so you know sick. I mean? like, yeah yeah they're hospitalized for the cycle the one cognitive dissonance there yeah, yeah.
0: it's a cognitive dissonance, right they're hospitalized for cycle one they're so sick you got to throw a really serious therapy at them that's the person you want to give pola but the hospital says oh my god we're going to lose money on pola because we get a single drg billing code for this and so we got to give the cheap stuff here but then later you can give the pola you're right it's a cognitive dissonance okay i want to make two points one the point that i should have said clearly which is i actually don't believe that the doctor in the bedside should be the rationer i think it's a problem and so we need another system in the us the second thing i think i want to say is that i think there is a regulatory failure here because if i was the regulator at the fda and i actually wanted to do good rather than just approve products i would say that you want an approval in large cell frontline here's the goal one if you if you bring me an improvement in os guaranteed you get approval easy os benefit with good subsequent therapy you get approval second um, you can bring me an improvement in health-related quality of life, but you got to measure it from randomization till death do you part in everybody, even post-protocol, because I want to know quality of life from salvage and balance that against quality of life up front with your drug. And Or the third reason I want to say is PFS is suitable for me, but I would power it for the tail of the curve. So you have to show me 36-month, you know, delta pfs this trial is powered for pfs hazard ratio it's possible with more and more follow-up that it actually becomes less significant or more significant in terms of the plateau you know so i think we we should be careful to say that we do not yet know this cures more people although a lot of your modeling like even the number need to treat is assuming hypothetically that that person's really cured of it uh, so okay. it's a regulatory failure. Now that the regulators fail, and they keep failing, and have failed for many years. And when Aaron points out their failure on Twitter, they get defensive about it. Uh, but you know now that they keep failing, and now it's up to us to try to be uh, a, a point person on this on this thing, and we can't. Okay, I'll give you the last thought, David, because you look like you want something to say. And then we got to no, do the two is This
2: is super tough. I mean, think I think this is where key opinion leaders and the guidelines and everything. you've mentioned from a regulatory standpoint is all going to come together and make a very messy situation but i doubt that this doesn't become the preferred regimen i mean first of all people that own their infusion centers are going to make more money from giving it it's i mean there are people who are going to say well pfs is a good surrogate for os and there's a pfs benefit that i buy so i'm going to use it even though that's not relevant because we are measuring OS. So it doesn't. Right. People will read the text and say the similar, the uh, toxicity profile was similar and it was quite similar. It was not drastically different. And this is not blamed to ocular toxicity versus not, um, you know, or sell an excerpt so similar. Um, I think this is going to boil down to what the guidelines say, what gets paid for and what people do, and then everyone else is just going to follow suit. I think um, that's probably fine, you know, in the scheme of things. Um, But I wonder, is this going to, are we going to have trouble interpreting the other frontline trials that are ongoing now that this might be standard of care? For Uh, some people, right. We, well, I mean, there's if we we haven't mentioned subgroup yeah. analyses yet. Yeah. There was a strong signal in the ABC subtype. Oh and boy! A number of people have sure. said, and I would probably agree. It's probably spurious. There's maybe a mechanistic reason that you could pull out of. But what
0: was the? I didn't see an interaction coefficient on that. Did they have an interaction p value? P value for yeah. interaction? No, no, no.
2: It's just it's just no like new the new greatest numbers. difference in yes, right. The, the greatest it's just the best hazard ratio among all of the subgroups among
0: all of the studies. presented subgroups, not all the ones yeah. they looked at. Among right. all the ones that they yeah. presented. Okay, um, yeah, um, so.
2: Yes, so I, that, I bet uh, people
1: they, are going to. What are you saying, Aaron? Sorry, they point out that the ABC and the the older over the age of 60, high IPI did, did better. But so mm-hmm. if you look at just like any DLBCL study that's plagued, you know, time from diagnosis to treatment is I think like 26 or 27 26, days. 26, 27 so, days. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, so these aren't our sickest patients that are maybe, being admitted to the Maybe
0: hospital Capricorn yet. does better than Sagittarius or Aquarius yeah. does better than cancer. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We didn't look at those.
2: No, but we have the ongoing escalate study. So we have Archos okay, plus minus yeah. acalabrutinib exclusively yes. in ABC, ABC subtype. subtype.
0: Yes, but how even if it's gonna... positive, it won't tell you what it would have happened in the GCB subtype.
2: Well, I'm saying how are we going to interpret that uh, if we this. if we adopt this in the ABC subtype, R-chip, especially if people yes. are saying, well, it's driven by an ABC signal, which. I can concoct a reason for based on cd79 mighty 88 etc cetera, correct, correct, the correct and if you have a correct. Mutation, there's a pathologic well i think if that
0: if that trial is positive then the people who look at this forest plot will actually learn what an interaction statistic is and calculate it so that they can try to bolster their argument and it'll depend on whose dinner you go to the night before um but you're making a great point but is it i mean the broader point is that um, you're saying that like it looks like of all the places that this is favorable, it's more favorable in this subgroup. But this is a subgroup where R-CHOP is the control arm for an ongoing study. And if that's a winner, you won't know, is R-CHIP-POLA the choice or is R-CHOP plus acalabrutinib the choice? And there'll be a lot of debate in that space. Um, but I guess the point I want to make is that Anytime you take the frontline regiment that's been the standard for since, what, 99, 2001, you know, our CHOP, uh, or as ABVD was the standard since 19-diggity-two, and you fracture it, you fracture it with a very disputed study. Echelon 1, you know, I didn't change all my practice. um, And here, um, Polarix, it's not going to change everyone's practice. Now, all the next... Dude, you're going to be multiple myeloma in 5 years. You're going to be multiple myeloma. You're going to be an RVD guy. I'm going to be a KRD guy. He's going to be a Dara RVD guy. Um, KRD KRD's going to be over there. We're all going to be we'll be so fragmented. That's not good. Okay, we got to do CAR T. Two randomized control trials are out, Concurrent <laughs> New England Journal. And of course, the editorial is by none other than young whippersnapper Daniel Longo who's uh, trying to get his foot in the door trying to make a name for himself in this business so he's the editorials um so what do you think David Rustler Jermaine uh what do you think about um oh we both did the same thing you didn't even see me do it no you did okay um so first of all everyone says oh this is a second line study second line second line it's not second line it's of all the people second line the people who have primary refractory disease which is a very aggressive biology and we all know those patients and we can remember them distinctly and people who relapse within 12 months and this is a disease category that you know they are generally chemorefractory and um and uh okay what are your thoughts axi cells positive tissue is negative yeah
2: So. There were th- there are three studies, two of which have been published. So we'll really only talk about those because we can really dive into the manuscripts. Um, Zuma Seven is the study of AxiCell, the CD28 co-stimulatory domain, um, CD19 directed CAR cell product um, from Kite, and that's the positive study. Mm-hmm. Um, and in contrast, the Tisagenlucddal 41BB co-stimulatory domain, um, Novartis product was the negative study. And I think the editorial is very good. I think a lot of the commentary at Ash and online related to it was very accurate that these studies had a lot of differences despite trying to target the same rough indication probably at their initial conception. Um, I think we have to start out by saying thank you for doing these studies to both groups. Like. it it is a beast to accomplish these with the amount of logistics and the financial implications and the cost of the therapies. And these are good, again, these are very good studies, several unique quirks that we'll point out, some of which I don't love, Um, but I think we had to do these and I'll put a little asterisk that we are going to keep having to do these for every CAR-T product that comes to market. We will never be able to swap other CAR-T products in for the specific indications studied in these RCTs because so much of CAR-Ts as a drug are CAR-Ts mm-hmm. as a process. Um, and we'll talk about that in terms of getting to the therapy. It's mm-hmm. not like you can just, you see your patient with their PET scan that morning, primary refractory on their interim PET or end of treatment mm-hmm. PET mm-hmm. after their r and you admit them for r that day or just give them RGDp if, if, as you walk them out the door. That is not how this works. We're talking a month or two later, you give them their next line of therapy. Mm. Plus minus bridging, admittedly.
0: You keep saying interim pet. Are you doing interim pets over there? Are your... pets. Why are you doing interim pets for?
2: We
1: love
0: them. Yeah, I'm gonna look into that later. Okay, Aaron. <laughs> um initial thoughts on this study? These yeah, studies. Just,
1: just to refresh our, our listeners, you know, who aren't versed in DLBCL. So mm. we just went over frontline uh, which was our CHOP, maybe now this Polarix regimen. And uh, if you if you relapse uh, the standard of care, if you relapse at any time, the standard of care up until this trial was uh, some sort of salvage chemotherapy regimen with a platinum you know like RICE, RGDP. Um, and then if a response, including partial response, mm-hmm. uh, uh, proceeding to high-dose chemotherapy followed by autologous stem cell transplantation. In the rituximab era, depending on which cohorts, uh, which studies you're looking at, you know, 20 to 40%, maybe, maybe cure rates in the rituximab mm-hmm. era. Now, these studies is challenging the standard of care, but not in all comers, as you pointed out, I. Uh, it's looking at those who are primary, are sickest, those who are primary refractory, uh, or those that relapse within 12 months. And I think the majority mm-hmm. of these patients, these studies relapse pretty fast or refractory, and they randomized. Uh, so they took the patients at the time point of, of relapse or refractoriness, and they then randomized them to, well, depending on the study, they would get some form of platinum salvage-based regimen and if response proceed to auto or go straight to CAR T cell. Now, again, depending on the study, the Zuma 7 study, uh, and this is important, which we'll talk about it with David, did not allow bridging therapy. And when we refer to bridging therapy for those who don't do CAR T cells, mm-hmm. these, are, these are very sick patients with aggressive lymphomas and sometimes you can't wait the you know mm-hmm. one to you know up to three months sometimes mm-hmm. for the whole process to go through and, and get the CAR-T in the vein. And they need some sort of chemotherapy to be bridging. So Zuma 7 did not allow that. They did allow steroids uh to be used uh in this patient population, which I think, right, David, was like 30 to 40 percent uh, steroids uh were yeah. used. While the, the 40 trans-
2: megs of dex for four days max.
1: Yes. Um. Uh while the transform, the uh, excuse me, the Belinda study uh with TSA cell did allow bridging therapy. Uh, uh, to be given. uh, um, 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 And uh, I think another thing that's different between the two studies that we'll have to point out and think about how it affects, uh, for those in the auto arm, so they got their salvage regimen, okay, and um, they, uh, in the Zuma 7 study, they could only get, you know, one salvage regimen. If it didn't work, they then, they were, you know, progressed. Uh, While in the uh, Belinda study, they were allowed two different attempts at salvage, meaning you could have progressed uh, and then got, a, or had a refractory disease to the first salvage and then gotten another salvage. I ready. see. Okay. These That's things are all going to go into how we interpret this data in the different populations that were studied.
0: That's interesting. But explain to me, okay, even theoretically, how does the bridging, are, are you, or is it your contention that by limiting bridging in Zuma 7, which is AxiCell, that that is an advantage to AxiCell to win, whereas, being more permissive with bridging for tissue is a disadvantage. Is that the cl- claim? And if so, how's well, that, how does that claim
1: yeah. any yes. investigator that's going to roll in zoom a seven. If you have a patient that's going to be therapy. I see you're going you're,
0: to get scared away. You're going to get yeah. scared away. Oh, I see. I see. And now, I, at least yeah, in my okay. practice,
1: I feel like I get real sick people from all over the place. By the time they get to me, they're in real big need. A I see.
0: You're saying it's a deterrent for patient enrollment, David. That's yes. how you view it too. deterrent.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not co- hard coded in it that explicitly in the, Protocol. I mean, it just has an exclusion criteria for bulky or organ compromise or vascular compromise disease. Like it's just a one liner really. Um, but what you can see is that the way it kind of manifests, not only just by the enrollment bias of like, you know, the OS curve in the standard of care arm is great. I mean, better yeah. than scholar one. Yes. So clearly these patients are the not they're not the worst primary refractory patients. Correct. But also they I think I have to applaud them for giving me the median tumor burden um, in the Zuma seven study, which the Belinda study doesn't. And what are um, the
0: units on that tumor burden?
2: So it's millimeter squared in this. Yeah, case. Yeah. Well, so it's just, obviously, you know, centimeters squared. So the median tumor <laughs> burden in, in the Zuma seven study was 20 square centimeters. So if you had five two by two lymph nodes, you're the average patient in zuma 7. Oh, okay. I mean, yes, there's a broad range, but that's median. I see. I see. Yeah. That's not turning... that's not exploding blossoming disease. Correct. I mean, I see. just to, just to be fair. I see.
0: I see. Oh, that's good. You've turned it into language I know. You're making it a scan. Okay, I see. That's good. Okay. So it is useful to know the cubic millimeter cubic centimeters of tumor. Okay, but let me ask you this. Um okay, so what if the investigator had a sick patient, they said I'm going to put him on zuma 7 the moment and then they're like, "Oh crap, I got to give bridging." What happens to those patients? They get pulled off trial. You get censored. Primary oh,
2: endpoint. That's
0: oh, they get scored. That's an event.
1: Of On Zuma 7, that's an event.
0: But yeah. that but that would penalize, presumably, the CAR-T arm, not the control arm. Correct. Correct.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: So I think that for it to make sense, is that to be a bias for while the trial is successful, the deterrent effect has to be greater than the pull, the scored as event effect.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, fair but right. to, to answer, to get, get through a few nuts and bolts of both yes, of these yes, studies, yes, yes, the yes. primary endpoint in both studies was event-free survival. So that includes patients needing another line of therapy, despite not progressing by strict imaging or examination criteria. Um, the problem is that even though that was the blinded central review in some cases or not, if you see stable disease and you switch the therapy. It's not, there's no blinded central review of changing therapies, for instance. So there is an investigator discretion component to EFS compared to central review PFS, albeit in Polarex there was investigator review PFS. So small tidbit. Um, I think, you know, as I kind of mentioned about these therapies being like processes and not just interventions and talking about the need for bridging and whatnot, um, the time to delivery of these agents is so key to, I think the success and failure. It may even Trump, the inclusion or exclusion of these uh, criteria of these patients based on bulky disease, or at least so give it a one yeah. one for its money. What are the so, times in this? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in Zuma is seven, um, they po- report in the manuscript median time from leukophoresis to product release was 13 days. And that's a very flattering number. Um, but in the supplement, I think the more important thing is phoresis to infusion, which is 29 days. So if you can wait a month for your patient to get therapy, plus or minus some steroids, you'll be fine. Um, in the Belinda study time to median time to infusion was 52 days. And a shocking thing I realized in the supplement was that in the U S patients, the median time to infusion was 41 days versus 57 in the non U S patients. And what that manifest as was that um, only 9% of patients in the non-US arm in Belinda could went through all this without needing any bridging compared to 35% in the US arm. And, of and 59% of the non-US patients needed two cycles of bridging to get to CAR-T given their 57-day interval between enrollment and CAR-T infusion. And these are kind of best case scenarios, think about it, right, because to participate in a industry led T study insurance approval is probably faster than standard of care insurance approval you are going to get your line and phoresis place probably a little faster than in real life <laughs> i mean these were all these patients were treated within 5 days of, of registration in, in Zuma 7 I, that never happens in real life for in my in our practice you, you know decide on T and then 5 days later you're getting your phoresis done so i mean There's so many mechanics and logistics to getting these drugs to people that it really does influence what's happening from an outcomes perspective.
0: So translation, you're saying that um, one of the potential reasons AxiCell is a winner and Tisagelaglucel is a loser is that with AxiCell, they turn this stuff around fast. I mean, they're not letting people go more than a month with that steroid. And that's also a reason why they don't use as much bridging or they could use they could not they could prohibit bridging cuz they can turn it around quick. But with tissageon like Luso, it takes a long time in the UA in the US and it takes even longer like getting an Amazon package in Russia. It's like they could put some stamps on that thing and throw it in the mail. 57 days later you're lucky you're going to get it. Okay, so it takes a long time in abroad and, and 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 that's why they have to have bridging in the protocol. Otherwise, who's going to enroll them? You can't temporize someone with steroids for that long. Um so
2: yeah. And then the other point is that in Zuma 7, you got randomized to the CAR-T arm. You kind of did your thing. You hung out, maybe got your steroids, and then got your your CAR-T cells. In Belinda, you got randomized to CAR-T. You did or didn't get bridging. You got a pet six weeks later to parallel the post-cycle two salvage pet in the standard of care arm. That does, scan did not count against EFS. And this where is where I get a little critical of the Belinda study design that it's it's too complicated here. They're doing pets at six weeks. And if you progressed with or without salvage, that doesn't count as an EFS or PFS event in the CAR-T arm. And then you get another pet at 12 weeks, no sooner than 10 weeks after leukopheresis. And that pet is before you get your CAR-T sometimes right okay yes Yes. Right? On, it could yeah, be yeah. sometimes and that yeah, could yeah. be an event so 12 weeks after enrollment if you've progressed before you get your infusion
0: but i guess in my mind is, possible, t- t- is that possible me, that you could have yeah, gotten? you know because of course it's a distribution no. so there'll be some people that far out but let me ask you this though like theoretically if somebody has progressed and the doctor still squirts in the car t-cells and gets a response then I think it's fair, right? Shouldn't they get Yeah, So they for count like, that. Okay, so they do okay, give yeah, yeah, them yeah.
1: that. They do give yeah.
2: them
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fair. I actually think, cause in practice, if you're trying to go to car, a lot of our patients progress, or some of them do in that window of getting to car, especially if it's going to take, but you long. still give the car, you still give the car, but sometimes you,
0: you don't give the car. That's the real case.
1: Sometimes you, you can't cause they die. And unfortunately, and that is, I think counted as an event. If it happens before 12 weeks in, in the study, Uh, or they get too sick and you're too scared or for whatever reason, you don't give them the car. So, uh, but it does kind of mirror, uh, you know, it makes a complicated interpretation, but it does kind of mirror what we do. So
0: let me ask you this question. What if I did a study, what if I just, what if my practice were the following in light of these studies? Here's my practice. My practice is, um, first of all, anyone who relapses more than one year out, this is not relevant in any way, shape or form. And I'm going to give those people chemotherapy and take them to auto, the vast majority. What if my practice is for anyone one year or less, including primary refractory, here's what I do. I will um, give them a cycle or a few cycles of RICE or RGDP or RDHAP. If they achieve a PR, great. I'm taking them to auto. And if they don't achieve a PR, if they don't have response to chemo, then I say, okay, I got to get them. I got to get them CAR-T, get the freezes going, and then give them a little more chemo and then give them CAR-T. How would but you say
1: well, yeah. that's kind of standard of care right i mean right Correct. that's that's standard and that's what we do now yes in, that's, in what, defense, that's what that's what i was
0: doing before this study okay in so that's though the trials
1: to yes. try to look like a part of me how i wanted to do it i wanted to be like you know give the give everyone everyone's gonna maybe need some bridging therapy and if they're one of those few people that achieves a beautiful cr to bridging therapy take them to auto and Correct. if they don't you know, it's PR not so great, but, but the fallacy in that thought uh, is first, the studies looked at that and they showed at least the Zuma seven showed benefit to, to car T with that approach. And the other problem is, you know, in the, in the, uh, b- the Belinda, you know, uh, where they, you know, you would have to collect car T's when you first see them. And in, in real life, you can't do that for insurance reasons. You can't Correct. say, I'm going so to take you to auto, right. but just in case it doesn't work, have your car T cells stored. So I, I struggle with how I'm going to incorporate this data into my practice.
2: Yeah, I think, I think I actually, I've commented, I've tweeted about this in like over a year ago, I think, but I think it was really important in the Belinda study that they didn't handicap crossover quote unquote, and they actually made it easy to give CAR T's to the other arm because it surely was easier than standard of care to get CAR T's in the second line for those patients randomized to that arm. You shouldn't say, Oh, Uh. you progressed on your salvage and thus um, you know, good luck dealing with your insurance. However, the problem is that that's not how it's going to work in real life, as Aaron said, and so it almost begs the argument, should these companies be willing to receive for products and hold them given that they cost $400,000. And if called upon, they use them thereafter. Um, I-, I don't know how that would work logistically and production wise, but I think we're going to re- be re- fair.
0: It costs them fifteen thousand to make it.
2: Yes, exactly. You agree? Fifteen no, thousand. Oh, yes. Totally, okay. Totally. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, we haven't we pointed out, so, we haven't given there... some numbers from this study yet. So twenty-four month EFS um, in the Zuma Seven was forty-one versus sixteen percent hazard ratio of 0. 0.4, Positive study. Um, again, OS, even though it was an interim analysis, uh, they did uh, had, like sequential yeah, p-value assessment, OS was negative technically. Correct. And I think what is really, it would, it would be me,
0: more negative if there was more crossover.
2: Well, I mean, to speak to crossover, th- this is, I think if I had to give one criticism that my biggest criticism of Zuma, Zuma 7, seven is that they say that they did a sensitivity analysis for OS pre-specified quote unquote pre-specified To see whether there would have been an OS difference between the two arms if not confounded by cross real world crossover. Yes. It is not confounding. It is not confounded crossover to give your patients the best third line therapy after they progress on the standard of care arm in the study. It just isn't. So we shouldn't call it that. And second of all, I was like, oh, let me read more about this pre specified fancy statistics thing that I don't understand despite being decent at statistics. Did you know that it was added to the analysis plan in a july 2020 amendment to the protocol after the final patient was enrolled Mm, interesting is that pre-specified i don't know i don't know if i call that pre-specified that's yeah Mm, i don't a little bit late i don't don't love love it
0: it. i don't love it well i mean obviously I think I'm going to encourage readers to read, you know, when is crossover desirable in cancer drug trials and when is it problematic, which I wrote with Allison in 2018 in the Annals. And also, we have a whole chapter in like malignant on this issue. But the key is if a drug product, and Aaron, you tweeted this today, if it has if it's used and accepted and is a standard in a latter line and your trial is testing the routine upfront use versus standard of care, you got to give it, you got to give it in the latter line when they progress. You can't deprive them of it. And you don't need a statistical method to disambiguate the benefit. You need to prove that even when you give it in the, in the current standard of care place, there's still a benefit. So that's easy stats. Um, so this method, what yeah. is it? Rank, preserve, structural time model or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, and 56 percent
2: of people got subsequent cars. so it's a coin flip it's not like yes, all right. of them got it let's be honest it was but come back to my no. premise
0: what about my premises in real practice what if you did what i say like you give them chemo and if they don't have pr then you try to take them to car t are you going to do that
2: yeah
1: we I, do do that yeah i know we do that are you going to change argue, that yeah what yeah, they'll argue in these yeah. studies which they're trying to show is why we should use it earlier there's a lot there are some percentage of patients or a reasonable amount that you can't still you know by that time uh, you know, they're just too sick and you can't, you know, there's going to be dropout. You can't get them to the car team. We're dealing with a pretty uh, aggressive malignancy. So, uh, you know, maybe by giving it earlier, which is what they're trying to show that we do help them in the, in the overall uh, I see. I
0: see. I and I see. think another
1: I... key thing, which is sobering, although consistent with prior reports is if you look at the control arms of those studies, the patients who were randomized to auto transplants, how many ended up getting to auto transplants? And it yeah. was I was like 32 or 36%. It was like very similar in in both studies. So like me, you know, if we knew who was going to prior to, you know, uh, uh, you know, if we knew who was going to respond and get to auto, I think for sure we would do auto. The problem was when they see you in that door as a primary refractory DLBCL or early relapse we don't know who that 32% is and 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 somehow if we could figure that out obviously future study that would yeah. benefit more funnel car, the patients to CAR T earlier
0: that's a fair interpretation yeah. what about you david what do you think
2: i think you know and i can speak from a very anonymized recent patient anecdote that my patients who get who have a positive especially 5 ps of 5 end of treatment pet from their okay uh, their frontline treatment especially if they're over 60 and Probably could be okay. a treatment break. I think it would be fantastic if 30 days from then with maybe just a few doses of steroids, they come in for car instead of anything cytotoxic. I think that's probably in their best interest. And I think that would be a great schema. The issue is, does it pan out that way? Can I get a line in them? Can I get a free spot? Do I need PFTs? Do I need another echo fair? Do I have to have them see a separate provider? Do I have to get mm-hmm. a slot? I mean, that's a whole ordeal sometimes. I mean, we can th- speak to the myeloma CAR-T issues. Not every product is going to always be available. Um,
0: now, what about this patient? You, okay, you have a good patient. What about the, uh, I'm making something up, uh, 48-year-old DLBCL, bulky disease, um, achieves CR at end of treatment. Um, for whatever reason, you decided not to radiate the bulky disease. Maybe it was in a sensitive spot. And now on month 12, has abdominal pain, has relapsed in the bulky site.
2: You get... So some of those people might get radiation if it's a single site, okay. especially bulky. There are some, I think it's in the red journal, a nice paper, that small N, but perhaps, you know, because we know disease bulk is not a good fact, good problem. It's an adverse risk factor Correct. for poor CAR T response that could you hit the the bulky site or, or the only site with radiation? Um, not Let's say it's a bulky that's... site
0: and four lymph nodes nearby. I guess what Not I'm trying to say is that's an auto patient. That's still an auto patient.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. That's okay. probably an auto patient. I okay. think, um, yeah, that's hard. And and I think the 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 use of surveillance scans and and this sort of strict 12 month cutoff, even though it obviously had to be done in the protocol, is going to be really tricky in practice. Because, I mean, you among other among many other people probably have good data that the majority of trial progression events are radiographic and Correct. patients don't notice it. it on exam or feel any worse. And so, yeah. you know, if you have that lead time and this is where um, I, you know, I'm a big CT DNA fan, but I worry that if we do like serial post CR CT DNA and DLBCL, we find, and then we call, a, we get a pet on, at six months because their CT DNA went from negative to positive, And then we find their new two centimeter avid node. Is that now a CAR T patient who would have otherwise never have been one Or say if you get the pet at nine months, let's be more realistic. And then they would have been another three to six months till we would have noticed their progression symptomatically or otherwise. Um, uh, It's sort of, I don't know how to compare all that. And it makes it very hard to to implement it in practice.
0: I guess, I mean, this is the last question because we got to go. But the last question I wanted to say was, uh, at least on this trial, if you had if we had had this discussion before, and I kind of regret we didn't, we should have had this discussion before how we use CAR-T and then halt you know put it in a vault and then record it again after we saw the data and I guess what I want to say to you is that I don't think we've moved that much in our practice on this issue I mean um we I was always. Uh, very trigger happy to use car T for chemo refractory patients because I knew more chemo is not going to help. And exactly as you say, David, it depends on the person. But the young person, you know, uh, um, you think you can get you can who's still pretty fit and can handle it. You know, you push an ice or a GDP or a hap, and you know it, they usually do pretty good. And often you can drive him drive him to where you need him to even take him to auto. But that older frail person, I was always kind of thinking about car T and looking for spots on trial or something like that for such a person for years. Um, now I see these results, and they largely confirm that. And it's those people towards the end of it, the 12-month people, that I was always like, "Yeah, do I really need the CAR-T cartier? Could try chemo?" And you know, if they're younger, et cetera. Um, and and now after I see the data, I feel like I'm similar. And then the fact that so many people people who relapse after 12 months it's non-trivial. I mean, isn't that more than 50 percent of relapses after 12 months? No, maybe 40 percent,
2: slightly under. Yeah, slightly under 50. I think it's like. 40% in yeah, the, the first 30 year. or 40% in the first year or 40, 40, and then 20 after the correct. Second
0: year mark. Correct.
2: Um, what I, you know, to yes. your point, yes, the, the sort of the flip, the the flip of it is what this is practice informing in regards to is that those patients aren't going to get Kim Raya. Not okay. gonna get That's the point. <laughs> and in part, they're going to get punished because of their turnaround time. Correct. If, if I, if, if in a best case scenario turnaround time of what the trial showed me, these patients are not going to do better. I think the 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 CRS looks better in the Zuma Seven than it did a little better than it did in some of the other studies. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about LysoCell. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't what seen the, the paper. Favorable toxicity profile of that looks like compared to these two agents. That if that if you this is another sort of dagger in the um, Tizogen, product armor, that the, the benefit of giving the CAR T early is, a, is gone, especially if your patient has any bulk and, or you can't get him the product in time. And, and I don't know how trustworthy the turnaround time is going to be. And there were some press releases from Novartis that they're pivoting to a new CAR T manufacturing and production thing. And they had a phase one mm-hmm. at Ash about their new product. So they're not going to be all in on getting this production time faster. They're going to have a new product in a few years.
0: I see. So I think, um, I think that's a key point. I think that, um, that, that to some degree, it's actually crushing their market share <laughs> that they had before they ran the trial. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Aaron, last thoughts on this.
1: I mean, my final thoughts, I think are, you know, for those primary refractory patients that get to you that do need bridging therapy and their disease is exploding. I think the bottom line is either option just isn't that good oh, still, good I, you know, and, and that just kind of makes, makes decision easier. I mean, the, the, neither is that great for that particular population. For those patients that are a little bit more stable, kind of like the Zuma-7 patients so who didn't need bridging, because if you look at the Zuma-7, there weren't that many dropouts between uh, randomization and uh, uh, giving the, the, the CAR-T. Then, you know, those patients will get the CAR-T, but uh, um, I still think that the more in the Belinda study, the, that patient pop, they do bad either way. <laughs> you know, we don't have a, a great answer to that.
0: That's, really, that's a really good point. Okay, and then the last thought on Polarix. We'll do one last thought. Polarix, my last thought was, actually, you know, if we had a functioning marketplace, it would be a great place for coverage with evidence development and try to you know, use some real-world randomization as you debut the product because I think there's a lot to be sniffed out on you know, who are the people, if any, who are still getting the tail-of-the-curve benefit there. So this is a Medicare problem if we had a way to do it, but, of course, this is the U.S.,
2: Sorry about that.
0: Okay, last thoughts on Polarix, David.
2: Um. Well, I was going to say, can I say one more thing? All to right. Be yes. Fair. So yes. my one, if I, I I gave my biggest criticism for Zuma Seven was the not pre specified OS sensitivity analysis. My biggest yes. criticism of the Belinda study is they don't include in the manuscript which CRS graded criteria they're using. In their prior manuscripts, they used UPen, which is very different than the, either of the 2014 or more recent Lee criteria. In what in the way? Protocol it's they more say it's perm- the Lee criteria, but they don't say the criteria in the manuscript, which is frustrating because you don't know how to interpret how serious a grade two CRS is or isn't. But which Secondly, is which is
0: generally more permissive, the UPen criteria?
2: The UPen is more about organ toxicity grading toxicity. and whether or not you get end up in the hospital or not because of it. Okay. Um, it doesn't have a strict vasopressor on or off requirement. Okay. And, um, and so that's, that's an issue. Um, and in contrast to the Zuma seven, Linda doesn't give me percentage of patients needing ICU care in either arm percentage of patient patients needing mm-hmm. vasopressors in either arm and they don't break down. And even in the supplement, CRS grade one or two, I see. So those things are lacking. And I just don't know why they wouldn't have been in, in us interesting major paper like this, um, and third, and just as far as inclusion, exclusion criteria, Zuma-7 did not include, but Belinda did primary metastinol and follicular lymphoma 3 d patients.
0: Zuma 7 did about not 10 include.
2: To per, that made up about 10 to 15% of the total study, those two histologies, but uh, I believe. Um, yeah. Oh,
0: um, and, and actually Polarix excluded people who had large cell transformed from follicular. Didn't they do that too?
2: I believe so.
0: I'm going to look that up while Aaron gets the last thought. Aaron, last thoughts?
1: Oh, on the car, t- I was also going to say, you know, at okay. least on Twitter, and I hear that car T's are safer than auto. Oh, um, God. Yeah. These studies really didn't show that. Uh, if you look at the the, the safety profiles, uh, uh, and I still think they're both, they're both rigorous procedures, and we shouldn't design trials where they have designs, like in some of the new myeloma studies, where they're auto in Ellsboro, not fit for auto, but then, the you know, they get a car, you know, something like that. So it's just yeah. some food for thought.
0: I, oh, and you're right, I just checked. Polaris next food. They could not have, have Uh huh. Interesting. Interesting. The plot thickens. Okay. So you know, I uh, I uh, this was really great discussion. Uh, I learned I learned a few things. That's always that's always makes my day. Um, I think these will be these aren't black and white decisions. They're gray. And I think reasonable people will find a way to kind of come in the middle and incorporate it a little bit. Maybe some more than others. And uh, Europe. Hey, Europe. You, you love to listen to this podcast in fact it's much more popular in europe than in the states i don't know why uh but but in europe but they you don't,
1: donate more too i heard you know right? yeah
0: they're they're the only ones the only few people who are lost on the internet who came to the patreon page <laughs> <laughs> which unfortunately doesn't cover the bills doesn't keep the lights on yet uh maybe someday we can hope springs eternal um but uh but they you know they can actually i think you know push back a little bit on polarix and try to get some data and maybe some find some way to do some other studies oh what about about the one thing you didn't say David there are other drugs that improve PFS but not os and dlbcl
1: and we yeah, didn't so, incorporate so the those.
2: two so the two studies I'll bring up one is um a seco paper um oh, seven or eight years ago I remember one of the late the len maintenance study yeah um yes the len maintenance had more toxicity than placebo maintenance obviously but that had a PFS benefit um not that dissimilar. I don't recall the exact number of hazard ratio but we did not adopt that obviously that, um, let me.
1: Ask, but that's different because that's taking people who are potentially already cured, exactly. right? They're taking yeah. so I think it's a yeah. little bit different. Oh, I do yeah. not recommend len maintenance at all in that setting.
2: No, do not Correct. do it. No, no. Yeah. I'm, but I, I would say from yeah. a strict, um, from a purist okay. standpoint. You but there's one BFF more. Endpoint. Yeah. Then you should in one study. Why don't you take it in the other? You one should at least be, asked that question. And second was the ABCVP study. Um, ABCVP European Yes. Study, yes. Where they're adding bleo and Vindicin. Uh, never made it to the American market and that's, it was that everyone good. tells me is the major reason why we never ran such a study, but that had an OS benefit, um, despite more treatment related mortality in that arm. So I think it's fair to have not adopted that regimen based on that trade-off. But again, the question is, you know, I d- I just want to make sure everyone is, I, I said this on Twitter before, I, I just want to preach internal consistency here that if we're going to hold one study to one standard, we should hold the other, the next one to the same standard Um, as far as endpoints go and magnitude of benefits. Well,
0: nothing says internal consistency like tweeting a steady stream of why young children should wear masks on Twitter, but then going to an ash party and throwing your mask away. Am I (laughs) right? Am I right? (laughs) <laughs> and then getting Omicron when you went home. <laughs> well, who knows where it came from? Okay, gentlemen, this was a real pleasure. Um, and again, congratulations to all the investigators. You did a lot of hard work, and this was not yeah. about you. This is These about, are great studies. These are, really these are studies. great studies. And uh, and and the people who uh, who could do better are the regulatory systems that designed this and the system that could get us some better data. And lower prices would help us too. Thank you so much. Uh, David Russler, Germain, Aaron Goodman. Until next time. Take care, guys.